When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all doing? I hope you're well. I hope all is good with you. Life's a little traumatic for me at the moment. There just seems to be a lot going on, but hopefully things will calm down soon. Um, And what do you do when you haven't got any spare time and can't take anything else on? You think, oh, well, actually, I didn't think, oh, I'll go and get a tattoo. This was something that I had to book in about 10 months ago. Um, They've got such a long waiting list. If you've followed me for a while, you'll know I've already had one tattoo. I had it done a year ago and I wanted another tattoo. And I've told this story before, so forgive the repetition. I'll be brief. I knew what I wanted. It was something sort of Lord of the Rings-ish with some mountains and a path. Um, And I booked in to have this done and I was waiting for the pictures to come through. And understandably, they're very busy, so you don't get their images until just before you're due to have the tattoo done. I'd been in and talked it all through. Anyway, the picture comes, arrives, and it... It just made everybody laugh that I showed it to. There's this very um, substantial person standing at just this very long path and then this strange-looking mount. It was just... It wasn't something that I wanted to have put on my arm for permanent record. So then I found this other tattoo place that were that are artists. And I thought, great, but I had to wait the 10 months. And... I went through all different ideas of what I wanted. And in the end, I settled on wanting this book, an open book, and out of it coming, yes, mountains, trees, clouds, hot air balloons, just to show that when you open a book, you know, you can escape into that book. The person came back and said, yeah, absolutely, we can do this. And they emailed the pictures and I really loved what what they did. Um, And then they said it's going to be three hours, three hours three hours. First of all, I don't have three hours spare. Secondly, three hours of pain. Um, anyway, I did it. And what was great, what was funny is he said, you know, the more time it takes, the, the more it will cost. I said, I will pay you more if you can make it quicker. <laughs> that, that's my thing. You can charge me more the quicker you do it, obviously, if it's done properly. But um 
He started and he was silent. And uh, the pain from the get-go was quite severe. And I said, are you okay to talk? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can talk. I said, well, please talk to me. And he said, what about it? I don't care. Just talk to me about anything. Well, I have learned a great deal about horror films, horror conventions. It's fascinating. I didn't know all of this. And he's even got a, a book tattooed on him, which I was very pleased with. Yes, it's a book of Evil Dead, but it's a book. I was thrilled with that. So, um, yes, I'm really glad I've had it done. It's still, should we say, in the healing stage. It was just done two days ago. Um, But yes, I'm thrilled with it. And uh, I did put some photos on Instagram. And uh, when it's healed, there will be more photos. I've said that's it, no more. Um, But you never know. It It is addictive. I hate to say it. And... As well, some parts of it hurt like a a massively hurty thing, but other parts it was it was okay actually. I I didn't mind it. Would I wake up of a morning and say, Oh yes, I know, let's have a tattoo, let's have the pain of a tattoo and, and no tattoo to show it. No, but it's don't be put off. If you're thinking, Oh, do I, don't I? You know, go for it. It's it's a couple of hours for the rest of your life. So there you go. There's my inspirational tattoo talk. But forget that. I've got some inspirational books to talk to you about. Honestly, I'm really excited about this week. I've got an amazing, amazing author interview. And we've got the other author section, the five questions in five minutes, uh, which actually took a little bit more than five minutes. But it's it's just you need to hear this. You really do. It's Mental Health Week. And that book is all about mental health Um, and some really, really good other books. One book, not for me. But anyway, let me tell you what the books are. So we've got The Island by Adrian McKinty and Adrian's coming on. That's very exciting. I'm sure you read The Chain, his previous book. He's written lots of books, but The Chain was the previous one that was huge. Um, So looking forward uh, to you hearing from Adrian. Then we've got Ben West on and Ben has just published a book called This Book Could Save Your Life. Wow. Again, you really need to hear from Ben. Then the the next book I review is one of the Quick Read series and it's by Lem Sisse. And it's I hope I pronounced that right. And it's called My Name is Why. That is an amazing book as well. Next is a graphic novel and it's Brave New World, uh, adapted and illustrated by Fred Fordham. And of course, it was originally written by Aldous Huxley. Now, this is a book I've been wanting to read for so long, the full novel. And I just haven't got round to it. I haven't got time. And then I saw that Vintage Classics were releasing it as a graphic novel. I just thought I'm in. I'm in for that. I I can really get a feel for the book and see, you know, immerse myself in the world and what a world it is to immerse yourself in. And then finally, a book called Madman Walking by L.F. Robertson. And this is an author I came across at Crime Fest a few years ago, obviously pre-COVID. And that was, that was the Crime Fest when I went and did my my book pitch to agents. And that was when I walked out thinking, yeah, I'll never be an author. Um, that's how well that went. But anyway, five brilliant books. Well, four brilliant books. One. Let's get started. So the first book, The Island. Listen to this. You should not have come to the island. 
you should not have been speeding. You should not have tried to hide the body. You should not have told your children that you could keep them safe. No one can run forever. Ah, let's do first sentence. Oh, do I do... Um, I don't know if I do chapter one or it's like the, the prologue. I'm, I'm going to do that. Right. A crow with a sceptical yellow eye was watching her from the lightning struck eucalyptus tree. The crow was death. Oh, my goodness. This book. If you want a book that feels like you're watching an amazing film, then this book is it. It's one of those where you're just like, sorry, nobody talked to me. I need to read this book. What is going to happen? It's just it's breakneck speed. It's just <gasps> twists and turns. Oh, my goodness. Edge of the sea. What's happening? Ah, phenomenal. Loved it. This needs to be made into a film immediately. Um, everyone who's listening, you know, all those film people out there listening, of course, to this podcast should immediately option this book and then turn it into a film. I need to see this. It's great. You'll love it. Read this book. I think I think I've given you the sort of the joyful gist of what I think. But let's talk to Adrian now. So Adrian McKinty, whose latest book is The Amazing The Island, welcome to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Well, it's great to be here. Well, I have to start with an obvious question, but you've got to start with this. Where did you get the idea for this? Well, what were you doing? Well, most of the stuff when you're a writer, um, you come and it's the existential terror of the blank page or um, the existential terror of the the blank word document. And you stare at that terrifying blankness for weeks, sometimes months. And then you know that this train is heading towards you and it's going to crash into you and destroy you. And it's called the deadline. And um, (laughs) you know that you signed a contract and that people are waiting for the deadline. And so most of the novels I've written have come that way. Fear finally kicks in and just pure existential terror and you start writing something and then that something becomes a novel and then you maybe get 10,000 words down and then you take a look at it and just go oh I think I can shape this into something and then you plan it out and then write it it wasn't the case with this one at all um it was during lockdown and I had contracted with Little Brown to write another book, um, a second novel. And I had no interest whatsoever in doing anything in lockdown. I was at home in my apartment with my two kids. And um, it was pretty terrible because they weren't in school and they were really miserable. And we just spent all day, you know, helping them with Zoom school and homework and everything else. And at the end of the day, I was just knackered. And I didn't want to write and um, the train was still coming, the deadline, and my agent would call me up and said, Adrian, you know, are you working on anything? And you can be truthful with your agent as long as you're not truthful with your editor. You'll always tell your editor, oh, yes, <laughs> I have a thousand ideas. I've been working all the time. I'm just deciding which one of these beautiful horses is going to go in the Grand National. Successful. Yes. Uh, but with my agent, I can be horribly honest and just go, mate, I haven't written a bloody thing. Um, I'm just have no motivation. Like the world is in calamity. Why would I ever want to sit and write a book, especially from midnight to 3 a.m. when the house is quiet? 
And so these conversations would happen like every month or so. And he would call me up and ask if I'm working anything. And I would tell him I wasn't. And then instead of just getting off the phone, it would kind of devolve into talking about what I was reading or watching. And we both have a love of 70s movies. Uh, and I have a fairly encyclopedic not a knowledge of 70s films. And so does he. And so we sort of compete to see which 70s films he was watching. And then we got into this uh, about four or five months into lockdown. Um, we got into this long discussion about deliverance. And um, we were talking about the esoterica of the film deliverance. And, um, and I'd read the book and uh, loved the book, James Dickey, incredible novel. And I you know, liked the film as well. John Berman's film. And we're talking about it. Mm. And then I said, happened to say to him, I said, you know, I had my own deliverance moment once in real life, about two, two or three years ago. And he said, what was that? And I said, well, um, I was driving, uh, with my wife in a really remote part of Australia. Um, cause we lived in Australia for a decade and we were driving and we, we took a ferry across to this rem fairly remote Island that not many people go to. And it was all one, um, extended family that lived there. And we got onto the island and there was a very weird vibe from the moment the ferry docked. There were guys walking around with broken over up shotguns over their shoulders and um, just walking around. And I guess they were shooting rabbits or something like that. But anyway, that was quite weird to see because you don't really see armed people in Australia. They're fairly strict gun laws. And um, so just seeing all these people with shotguns was a bit odd. And um, we stopped for lunch at this farm. And um, again, the atmosphere was quite strange. And I made a joke that uh, failed and um, contributed to the bad mood. <laughs> we were next to this big barn. And I said, is that where you keep the wicker man? And um, which I shouldn't have said. But anyway, um, so um, I contributed to this bad feeling and, and, and just the, the vibe was not great and um, and they told us that the last ferry was at 3 o'clock and so we were just driving around and there was nothing really to see and it was so hot, it was about 44 degrees Celsius and um, so hot just everywhere and I said to my wife look, let's get out of here, we've got to make the last ferry and then we looked at our watches and time had slipped by and there was only about 15 minutes left until the ferry so I was racing down this road and there was tall spinifex grass on either side. And suddenly this woman comes out of a side road, which I hadn't seen on a bicycle and she's wearing a hearing aid. And obviously the hearing aids turned off or it's not working or something because she pulls out and I honk the horn and she does not hear. And I slam on the brakes and the car just swerves and brakes. And we, I stop about 10 yards, 10 meters behind her. And she's completely oblivious. She doesn't hear at all. She just keeps cycling her bicycle down the road. And and I'm just sitting there by the wheel, shaking, and my wife's shaking. And then mm. um, I say something to my wife. I said, you know, if, I'd, if we'd hit her, I don't think we would have got off this island alive. And it's sort of a, a joke comment you say in, in those moments. But my wife completely seriously said, I don't think we would have. Um and and then we sort of got the car going, got off. So I tell my agent this story, 
in the middle of lockdown and he said you did hit her that's the book and mm. and i went oh wow yes that's the book if we did hit her what would happen next what's the all the logical stuff that would happen next and it was one of those books then where it wrote itself um i just had to decide who the characters were and i decided to put kids in the back seat and and then when i started writing it it, it all just it, the whole thing just wrote itself in in a few months and um because everything a lot of terrible things happen in the island like really terrible things but they're all yes. the logical consequence of that initial inciting yeah. incident. None of it is is outside the world of logic. And so whenever I was – actually, I never really had a problem thinking about what happened next because I thought, well, what would happen next? And this is what happened next. And then right to the very end, I thought – I still in my brain was going – well, do they get off the island or not? What What's going to happen? And I I wasn't sure because the story had to tell me um, what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. So I'm normally quite a quite a big planner. Um, I plan the beginning, middle, and end, and I know. And I'm, when I'm writing the chapters, I know what every chapter is going to do. But for this one, I was just hanging on, and I was just going. Well, and I was I, I look forward to. Um, getting the kids to bed and going up and writing because I thought, well, what the hell is going to happen now? And, um, and then I would write, just go, Oh yeah, of course. And so the story was, was telling itself through me, which is always fun when that happens. It doesn't happen to me that often. Uh, I know that for a lot of other writers, that's how they write. But for me, uh, that was fairly rare. And so then when I was finished with the book, um, I sent it to my editor and um, she obviously had some suggestions for, for changes. Um, and we, I did those suggestions. They were all good. And then that was it. That was how it sort of came to fruition. I, and it's such a sort of thrilling um, sitting on the edge of your seat read. I'm just wondering what sort of medication you advise us to take afterwards to then calm down panpipe music or yeah. so I, don't, I yeah. don't know yeah exactly i mean it, it was it was as thrilling for me because i just didn't know uh, i had no clue what was going to mm. happen and i was going oh christ i hope it's okay i really hope it's okay you know um because i had no clue and especially when you write it i mean i've written i, I have a ser- couple of series characters and when you write a series um you you or when you read a series you know that it's all going to be fine for the protagonist like maybe they're they're people they love are going to get hurt or but you know they're going to survive to the next book but when you write a standalone it's great because all bets are off you have no idea what's going to happen you know um the bad guys could win the good guys could win it could be slaughter I mean, it just could be, it, it's, it's, it's really fun to read those, those kind of books. Yes, because you don't know how far you're going to take it. And I love the idea of this character, you know, Heather, and you're, you just throw stuff at her. Yeah. And, you know, what, what can she deal with? What's her limit? I, I, just, I, I love the idea. Really yeah, good. I mean, I, 
you know, I, I remember I have a really good friend of mine, Don Winslow, and we argue a lot about Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And he's a big <laughs> fan of he's a big fan of Empire Strikes Back. And if you look at Rotten Tomatoes reviews, um, Empire gets the better reviews. People generally think it's a better film. It's better directed um, and just better put together. But I prefer Star Wars because um, when I look at Star Wars, I see it's the story of a far ordinary person, a farm boy um, who goes up against the evil empire and challenges the evil empire. Um, and he grows throughout the, the, the length of the movie. And in the end, the end of the movie is him trusting his instincts and winning and beating the empire, this ordinary kid. In Empire Strikes Back, depressingly, um, we find out that um, he's the son of a lord and that his sister's a princess. <laughs> and instead of it being this farm boy who changes the world, it's these it's a feud between royal families. And who gives a damn about that? I mean, that's, again, you know, it's Wars of the Roses and stuff we see all over. It's so much more interesting to me if it's an ordinary person who rises to the occasion and that's what I wanted with Heather. I wanted her to be young, fairly naive, had never left the country before, had never had a passport before. Um, it was completely underestimated her entire life. Um, barely graduated high school, or I think in the book I have her graduate with over here what they call a GED. So she doesn't graduate high school and then she gets um, a graduate equivalency certificate. And so like she's called dumb, she's called a loser. And she's just completely underestimated by everybody. And that's their biggest mistake because she has heft and depth and resilience. And I love that stuff. I love it when it's, I, I love Miss Marple because she's the character in the corner that everybody ignores. And who's this, yeah. who's this old lady over here? We can say whatever we yeah. want because she's worthless. She's an old person heading towards the grave. But what they don't know about Miss Marple is she has a steel trap mind, smarter than all of them put together. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what I also liked about Heather in this story. Completely ignore her because she doesn't mean anything. And in fact, she's smarter than, than all of them and more resilient than all of them. And um, I just love it when when that kind of character rises to the rises to the occasion. It felt to me as I was reading it very visual. It, I I could see a film uh, as I was reading it. Did it feel that way to you as it was consuming you as you were writing it? Um, I I had a different series of emotions. For me, it was about the the heat and. Um, the the flies and all the, all the stuff that was I really experienced when I was there because mm-hmm. uh, for me I was feeling that when I was writing it especially in a cold New York apartment in lockdown I was Im- immersed in that kind of physical detail and uh, especially the heat I, I'm not used to heat I'm from from Belfast and uh, you know if it gets to 22 degrees Celsius everyone takes their shirt off and starts to faint and um, <laughs> complains about the heat. And so for me to be in this landscape where it was like 45 degrees Celsius, I mean, it was just, it was like being on the sun. And I just remember that, I, I remember once touching the tarmac um, for some reason, and it's just being, my hands were scorched by touching the road. 
And I thought, well, that's got to go in the book when someone falls down on the on the on the tarmac. That's so hot. So I, the visuals weren't really there for me, but d- definitely the visceral feeling of of the heat and the exhaustion and the thirst and the flies and all that other st- and the pain, all that other stuff was a hundred percent there um, because it was traumatic. Even nothing happened to us. You know. That's interesting, though. So you were very focused on the feelings, yeah. and yet as a reader, it, it was it was visual, and that's probably because you were so focused on the Maybe. feelings that just painted the picture yeah. for me. How do you feel about your books being called page turners? Is that um, something you like, or does that wind you up? No, no, not at all. I mean, um, for for about nine or ten books before I wrote the chain, um, I. I'd, written noirs and um and all i've ever done was noirs and noirs are a completely different type of writing people think oh they're both crime novels they're absolutely not um they're totally different genres in every conceivable way and in noir to me anyway it's all about mood and atmosphere and character development Mm -hmm. and there's you don't really need that much tension or plot even um uh, like Blade Runner for instance is a film with almost no plot um, and it's just about mood and atmosphere and, and tension and in my books in the, all the noirs that I'd written it was all just about layering in the atmosphere and you know the weather the mood the music um just everything in, in those books and so then when I knew I wanted to write a thriller uh, which was like my, my first thriller was The Chain I knew I had to unlearn all the stuff that I'd learned from writing the noirs because in a thriller, I mean, in, in my, I have a series called the Duffy, Sean Duffy novels. And in those books, Duffy will go off bird watching for like a page and a half and he'll note down all the birds that he sees in the journal. And that, you can't have that in a, in a thriller. You can't have a character stop. They're being chased and they stop and they note down all the bloody birds. Do some bird watching. Yeah, you can't have that at all. <laughs> With their I Spy book. Yeah, exactly. And, another, and again, another trope that I would have in, in the Duffy books is that he would listen to music and make critical comments on this album from the 1970s um, that he's obsessed by. And you can't have any of that either in a thriller. So for me, it was a complete challenge uh, at least the chain was to learn a different, entirely different type of writing. In 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 the chain and in the island, every scene has to either reveal character or forward the story, and and that's a, a discipline. And uh, and when you go back and read the book, you just think, well, what's this scene? Do-? You interrogate every scene, and you go, well, is this scene revealing character or forwarding the story? And then if the answer is no, then you can cut it. You can just cut the scene. And and so mm-hmm. when someone says it's a page turner, well, I see that as a compliment because I've done my job. My mission mm-hmm. was to write this propulsive story where the pages turn. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased that I have become proficient in two modes of writing now or uh, mm-hmm. proficient to my standards anyway the writing of noirs and the writing of, of thrillers because to me at least it's two different disciplines mm. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I'm just interested with you writing at quite a pace and intensity. We're not saying what characters were left at the end, but did those that stay stay with you? Did you did you have trouble getting rid of them in your mind? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I had to, I had to make some decisions about certain characters throughout the book, and um, sometimes it was painful decisions um, because well, I don't want to spoilers but there's a character i really fell in love with um and um i don't want to say exactly no, don't, what happened don't, don't spoil but it. <laughs> it was just a re- what happened to that character was really tough for me because i honestly i really love them and their backstory and um and heather stayed with me for a long long time afterwards and i thought a lot about where she came from in her life before and and just she really got under my skin in a way and and I grew to know her as the book went on I I grew Mm. to know her and I really grew to like her and I grew to understand her and um so that was so much fun um just living with her for that while and I still think about her now um you know a year later after finishing the book so when you're writing something when do you know this is this is it, this is a book that's going to gonna work. Do you have that certainty before you actually start no. putting pen to paper? No, I mean, I've got a drawer full of 21st chapters. And, um, oh. you know, you write this first chapter and, um, and then you go to bed and you think, you go to bed and you think, well, this is great. And then you wake up the next day and you go, what the hell was I thinking? Was I on acid or something? This is awful. There's nothing here. This is just dreadful. And then when you get lucky, you wake up the next day and you go, okay, there's something here. There's something that can work here. And so it's definitely trial and error. And um, and usually with me, once that first chapter is done and um, I get another couple of chapters under my belt, then I take out my notebook and, and, and I just fill it with um, plans and notes. And, and then, um, then you've got a, a skeleton for how you, want the, how you want the book to go. I didn't do that with the island because um, I was just hanging on. Um, but I guess my subconscious maybe knew what was going to happen mm. next um I, I certainly my conscious mind did not know um but maybe inside my brain was working out story and plot and narrative and all that kind of stuff so because that was quite a different writing style to your previous books has that stayed with you as you've you've gone on to write your next book yeah i mean you have to um i mean i do have a series that i have to work on and it has impacted me a little bit and i have to when i'm at the computer i have to think okay you're in a different mindset now and and then usually you can switch also in in the in the in the island and in the chain there are very few jokes um which had been a feature feature of my writing until then i usually had a joke every couple of pages and stuff but again with the stakes that high People aren't cracking wise um, and coming off with the Sarki remarks um, because everyone's terrified um, all the time. And, you know, that the, the jokes dry up 
in 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 existential terror. Um, so when I was coming back to write one of my series books, um, which I'm working on at the moment, it was actually quite fun to be able to relax a little bit and, and put some more humor back in. I did slip some jokes both into the chain and into the island. And, um, I was worried that my editor would cut them, that she would say, this kills the mood. Um, but I, th- I think I got away with it. Um, so there are a few, there are a couple of jokes in there that I'm pleased with. Um, I can't quite remember where they are, but I remember at the time going, oof, this is going to get cut. Um, but it, they, I think they've survived in, in both novels. Interesting. I'm going to have to go and read it again to see, to see where it comes. I mean, this book is published certainly in the UK the 17th of May, so not long people need to get their final pre-orders in. But my last question is, what do you wish someone had told you when you first started writing? I think they should... I, I wish I'd known that it was going to be a long process before you'd get successful. Um, I think even when you're published, um, you think, oh, good, now I'm going to get... Um, reviews and um, you know maybe award nominations and and maybe financial security and I didn't get any of that um, until you know several books and several years into the process. You occasionally will read a story about uh, a debut novelist who has all the success, and the reason that makes the paper is because it's so rare. Um, most mm. debut novelists. They write their book and it comes out and it's just ignored. Um, I think to sustain yourself through the failure years, you need to have a passion for what you're doing and you need another source of income. I was a teacher or you need to come from inherited wealth. <laughs> I think that's also, that's also, that's also good. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you, you might not have the motive. You might not have the motivation to um, spend hours in a cramped office. Well, we're glad that you have the motivation because the island is amazing and I can't wait to hear everyone talking about it when they start reading it. Adrian McKinty, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That was a pleasure. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now on to a truly amazing book called This Book Could Save Your Life by Ben West. Now, I'll give some trigger warnings, but I do think it is a book for everyone to be reading. But obviously, there's there's a lot about suicide in this book. So uh, if you're going through it, if you've experienced it, just to make you aware. But having said that, if you are in the depths of despair and contemplating all sorts of things, please read this book. If you know someone who's going through it, please, you know, get this book to them. And equally, if you have experience, um, family, friend, whatever, a suicide, again, you might think, I don't want to read this book, but I think it could help. So there's a trigger warnings, but well, it's, it's up to you. But, you know, it's mental health week, guys. And we need to look after ourselves and each other. We need to talk about it. We need to spot problems. Maybe it's aimed or based on younger people, but forget that. It's for all of us. We've all got to read this book. Listen to these stats. 7% of children have attempted suicide by the age of 17. 41% of hospital admissions for self-harm were teenagers. We're really... This is a crisis of incredible proportions and it's getting worse all the time. I know I sound like I'm going on, but actually we, you know, we need to talk about this. I know I use books to escape, but sometimes we need to not escape and and just try and work through things. So there's so much I could tell you about this book, but I just think it's normally five questions in five minutes. took a little bit more than five minutes, but that we just, there was a lot to talk about. And I hope you all take something um, from hearing from Ben West now. So Ben West, author of This Book Could Save Your Life. Welcome to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. I haven't got used to the author bit. That sounds so weird. <laughs> wow. Well, you are published author. It, it's it's happening. We're talking on the day that the, the book yeah. is launched. So it uh, must be quite exciting. Exciting and nervous, I guess, because obviously what the book's about, it's uh, a very personal story. And, and to think that's being read by mm. thousands of people is a very, a very strange feeling. But obviously, you know, this has been years worth of work for me and it's all kind of come to this. And it's incredibly exciting and means a huge amount given what it's about. So, yes, first question. Can you summarise your book for us? Of course. So I uh, I lost my younger brother um, to suicide in 2018. And obviously that was a really horrific experience and going through the grief, the trauma. 
of that. Um, but also, you know, the, the experience I've had over the last four years, uh, the way I've sort of grown my understanding of, around the mental health conversation, around emotions, especially as a, a young man, that's been so incredibly um, insightful for me. And time and time again, over the last four years, <clears throat> I've said to people, I wish people could experience what I've experienced without having to have gone through such a difficult thing. And so for me, this book was a way of almost taking people on that journey from, you know, from my childhood, from my upbringing, from school, from, you know, what Sam went through to, you know, what happened that day, you know, what led up to Sam taking his own life that evening, the experience of losing someone's suicide in the very, in that moment, what actually goes on, trying to paint that picture of just how bad and traumatic and awful you know, finding someone that's taking their own life is. And then obviously discussing emotions, grief, trauma, um, joining universities um, and all of that uh, and sort of trying to educate people about emotions, especially as a young man. And then obviously with my campaigning work, really highlighting that there is a need to go further than just talking about this stuff, that actually legislation around teaching, around schools, education for children, that needs to be improved. And so for me, this is a really good moment to sort of highlight the importance of that as well. And it comes out, um, well, this episode will come out anyway for Mental Health Week. So yeah. it's it's important that we talk about this. So I imagine it's, yes, um, getting the book for someone or reading the book is great, but it's the starting point, I would imagine, that, it, you know, you want it to, to be the, the topic of conversations and to really light a fire. Definitely, that's it. And I think, you know, we... Mental health is everywhere at the moment. You know, let's not kill ourselves. It is, it is a very sort of, I don't want to use this word, I don't think it's the right word to use, but it's a very trendy topic at the moment. It's on billboards everywhere, it's on TV and radio. And that is a great thing. It's a really, really great thing. But for me, the problem has always been, I don't think that conversation goes far enough. And, and this was my way of sort of pushing the boat out a little bit further, getting a little bit deeper into these conversations and really being a starting point for um for those conversations with people and i hope that a lot of people that read this book haven't had those conversations before you know my hope is that this book reaches people that don't necessarily haven't necessarily read a book like this before or haven't necessarily thought about this in this way before um so as as well as being a sort of helping hand and and a sort of hopeful book for people that are struggling or people that know someone that's struggling there is a lot of in there that 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 should be heard by people that haven't heard this before. So yes, you're absolutely right. I want this to be a conversation starter. Um, obviously, you know, a conversation starter around the need to talk about emotions slightly differently, but also a conversation starter about, like I said, the legislation change, the teacher training, the education mm -hmm. in schools. Um, so hopefully off the back of this, there is a lot of conversations that happen both publicly and both privately in people's lives. It's um, an odd question to ask what your favourite part of the book is because it m must have been such, um, not just emotional, but challenging book to write at times. But uh, say somebody says to you, where, where do I start in the book? You know, what's what's the, the go-to chapter? What would you say? That is a difficult question. Um, I think because of the experience I had writing the book, I mean, first of all, I had no idea what writing a book was actually going to be like. It was a, it was very unusual sitting down with an empty Word document being like, well, where do we start? Um, and for me, it, it developed into such an incredible thing. And I processed so much that I hadn't realised I'd processed before. Um, so sitting down with my own thoughts last summer, getting through all of this stuff, it was an incredible experience for actually looking at what happened on my own with my thoughts and really analyzing that and for me 
the chapter that that obviously sticks with me and was such an incredibly important chapter to write for me in the in the fact that it was processing so much was chapter two, which is all about what happened that night. For me, it's it's when I've looked back on that night uh, and what happened when we found Sam, it's always felt like I was looking back on someone else's life or looking back on a story someone had told me. It didn't feel like I was remembering my own experience. Um, and that was all part to do with sort of the experience of the trauma. And for me, sitting there last year, really deeply analysing what happened and really deeply thinking about it and thinking about how I reacted and thinking about the emotions that went with it and, and the days afterwards and what actually happened. For me, that was just the most incredible experience and something I really hope people can take something away from. But at, the, at that point, I really don't care if people don't, because it, for me, it was just the most incredible experience mm. to be able to get the opportunity to process it. Um, so that for me is a very, very special chapter. Wow. Um, yeah, that's, it sounds like a book. You know, we just all need to sit and read whatever we're going through. However you feel, it's a book for for everybody, um, and and really an honest and open book, which is so good. But can you describe your book? This is a challenge in three words. Okay, that is a challenge. Um, I would say <clears throat> moving, funny, and direct. I think it doesn't hold anything back. It is upfront. And there, so I think direct's a good one. But also funny, because I thought it was, you know, I, my personality, I'm, I'm not there sitting serious all day, and I wanted to get that across. So it's quite lighthearted, hearted, hearted. And no one wants to sort of spend a couple of days reading a book that's always down and, and, and you know, dark and negative. So there is a lot of, of funny in that. And obviously, given the topic, it's very moving as well. But those are three great words. Um, what did you eat and drink the most when you were writing this book? <laughs> Again, this sort of depends <laughs> at what point I was in. Obviously, because, you know, the different topics, right? When it was it was a difficult topic, uh, time of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> <laughs> bit of, uh, bit of uh, chocolate fudge brownie ice cream going down, a bit of comfort food. Um, I think <laughs> I was very conscious because, you know, I'm, I'm not a writer, really, in my life. I've always been told that I wasn't very good at English. At school, I was told not to sit my English exams because... They thought it was going to be demoralising for me to sit my English exams. And, you know, I've been told since by my editor and the publishers that actually I am OK at writing. Thank goodness. Because <laughs> that would make it awkward, wouldn't it? Um, but for me, it was, I was so convinced in my mind that I had to work so hard to get the words right. And I have always had a little bit like a trouble sort of finding the right words and, and getting them down in a, in a sort of way that makes sense. I was so like so concerned about that that it was basically water five a day <laughs> I was like we've got to get nine hours of sleep <laughs> we've got to work so hard <laughs> to be able to be functioning on that level that, that everyone was expecting me to um so a lot of water and uh, a lot of fruit uh, but in the in the difficult chapters I it was a lot of ice cream a lot of ice cream and some cookies and milk and crisps because I was like I'm just gonna clock off for the day sit back watch a bit of Netflix and pretend that I'm not doing this book <laughs> and that was a great that was a massive relief massive relief <laughs> that, that's perfectly understandable and it makes you very welcome on this podcast it really does um the final question what's been uh, appreciating the very difficult circumstances but what's been the best moment so far in in being an author honestly 
when the book was delivered to me, I've got it right in front of me here. When it was actually delivered, I can hold it. It was an incredibly special moment. And I, I posted something on my Instagram yesterday saying thank you to everyone for their support. I honestly, when Sam died, the days and weeks, months even afterwards, as as if you read the book, you'll find out, it. I, I couldn't see how anything in my life was ever going to be positive or good ever again. I just couldn't see how anything was going to be good or fun ever again. And to get that book in the post and to see what we've made this into, something that can save someone's life and something that, that you know, could affect change and could help people to hold that in my hands. That was just the most incredible feeling um, and something I'm never, ever, ever going to forget um, to bring that experience and make it into something positive given how bad it was. Um, yeah, I mean, what can you say, really? That was just unbelievable and still is. That's amazing. What an inspirational person you are and what an inspiration the book is as well. So Ben West, author of yeah. This Book Could Save Your Life. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, I just feel so fortunate to be able to talk to these authors. Adrian McKinty, of course, with his incredible book and Ben West with his incredible book. You know, there's... Uh, whether you want a book to escape in or whether you want a book to help you change your life, you know, those are those are two great books. And I've got another corker, corker of a book. This is... This book blew my mind and I think it's another very, very good one. Sorry, just throw that piece of paper down. Um, Another very good one to talk about in Mental Health Week. Um, This is the Quick Reads books. I mention them every week. I'm featuring another one of them. These cost a pound, a pound, printed book, a pound. They're short. This one is 140-odd pages. Um... And whether you are a reluctant reader, uh, I haven't read for years reader or a I read every day reader. I think it's a great book. But uh, listen to this. My Name is Why is a true story about growing up in care and fighting to succeed despite the cruelty and failures of the care system. How does a government steal a child and then imprison him? How does it keep it a secret? This story is how this story is true. Um, and actually, it's um, especially abridged for quick reads. So you get a whole book sort of condensed. And what it is, is Lem takes you through his sort of, well, his childhood, his teenage years particularly, and interspersed with his recollections are parts from reports written on him. I mean, they might have reports written on by social workers, by all sorts, school reports. It's it's a book that makes you stop and think and get angry and just how unfair things are it's it's a read that I would really recommend it's incredible and I don't know why I hadn't read the the full book before but also of course uh, Lem is a poet and I really want to I really want to read this. I did say what the book was, wasn't didn't I, in the beginning? If I didn't, the book's called My Name Is Why by Lem Sisse. I'm sure I did. We just, it's, it's, uh, wow. Yes, I'm going to be reading his poetry, that's for sure. So next one is the graphic novel. 
uh, Brave New World by, and of course, originally by Aldous Huxley and then adapted and illustrated by Fred Fordham. And this is part of the vintage classics range. So originally published in 1932, Brave New World is one of the most revered and profound works of the 20th century literature. Touching on themes of humanity, technology and influence, Aldous Huxley's enduring classic is a reflection and a warning of the age in which it was written, yet remains frighteningly relevant today. With its surreal imagery and otherworldly backdrop, Brave New World adapts beautifully to the graphic novel form. Fred Fordham's faithful yet aesthetically reimagined adaptation brings this thought-provoking story to new visual life, introducing it to a generation of modern readers in a fresh and compelling way. I thought, I thought this was incredible. There's mental health in this as well, um, but it's about government control. It's about where we go in the future. It's about the individual, the groups. Um, there's, it's not one for children. There are um, some... Uh, scenes of, shall we say, <laughs> how I would describe it as nighttime activities. But it, it, ah, oh, just, yeah, again, it's a, I've read it and now I think, well, I want to go and read the, the original. thought the illustrations were great. It wasn't a graphic novel that you can just rattle through, you're done, you know, you could read it in the bath and it's done. It's quite a big, heavy book as well, but it's, you just need a bit of time to read it. And yeah. Wonderful, awesome, amazing. Anyway, last book, Madman Walking, When a Man's Innocence is His Death Sentence, L.F. Robertson. Howard Henley is not a killer. That seems obvious to lawyer Janet Moody when she's called in to work his appeal. Her new client was convicted of arranging the shooting of a drug dealer, but the man who pulled the trigger has always said Henley had nothing to do with it. So why is Henley the one on death row? Janet's new case takes her from the desperate world of prison gangs, where men are murdered as initiation rite, to the courtroom, where a mental illness might mean the difference between life and death. Can she convince a judge of her client's innocence before it's too late? Um, see? See what I did there? Mental health again? Um, let's do the first sentence now. You have to help me. The man's voice on the phone both pleaded and commanded. You have to help me, Miss Moody, as an officer of the court. A terrible fraud has been committed against me by the court and the police. I wanted to love this book so much. So much. It had all the right ingredients for me. Um, it, it's a legal, you know, courtroom drama. I'm in for that. It's written by someone with incredible legal experience. Again, I'm in for that. I've heard them talk. I, as I say, I was at Crime Fest, heard the author talk. Um, and so I was totally committed to loving this book. And the story was good. The story was great. It was the characters. I didn't care about them. I mean, obviously you care when you hear about these awful things, but I didn't believe in them. They just didn't feel 3D enough. They were quite flat. Uh, and it's a part of a series again, so it's such a shame. And it might be that I was just... Reading it, the wrong day, the wrong mood. Read it, see what you think. If you love courtroom dramas, legal ones, um, then you might really enjoy this book. It's got the some, you know, twists and turns in it. It just, as I say, the, the characters were, for me, too flat. And obviously, I'm not tagging the author in this, but I've got to be honest, um, 
it wasn't my favourite. I'm really sorry. So, well be that Philippa just wasn't in the right place for it. And uh, and that's why. But there were books that I was in the right place for. And so the books we've covered today have been The Island by Adrian McKinty. This book could save your life by Ben West. My Name is Why by Lem Cisse. Uh, A Brave New World, adapted and illustrated by Fred Fordham. And Madman Walking by L.F. Robertson. That's your lot. I'm going to leave you to your day got some great books to talk to you about next week can't wait just just have a good week and um and yes get a tattoo get a book tattoo maybe not the evil dead but hey if that's what floats your boat go for it just look after yourselves and i'll see you very soon take care now bye bye you've been listening to the quick book reviews podcast that's enough books said no one ever See you again soon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.